We are having a conversation. We're talking about first things. First things is being a follower of God. Not first things about Christian theology. That'd put us in a different category. But we're talking about as a follower of God, what are the first things in life? I've suggested uh, first that it's returning to an awe of God, having a proper balanced view of God. Second, we are the greatest apologetic for Christ and our forgiveness and unity will uh, be signifiers that this is for real, that we're authentic. Third, interesting that uh, the Shema would say, love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And Jesus adds to that, I want you to love me with your mind as well. Well, today, uh, I would say, is the most practical of the five. And again, this is always meant to be just conversation starters. Let me just say that what I'm about to say can easily be misinterpreted. So we're going to have to take a look at the nuances of what C.S. Lewis wants to share this morning. But this morning is the most practical of the five that helps me the older I get as I seek to follow God. So let me show you this picture. Uh, This is from Hawaii. My wife and I speak at marriage conferences, and um, you just go where you're sent, right? You just... God says, go to Maui, we go to Maui, we're your humble servants. Now, don't worry, we've also done Cleveland, okay? So we've, we've paid our penance. So we are at the uh, Maui conference, and it went great. Uh, I kept wanting to look at the audience and kept saying to them, why are you not on the beach right now, right? Just buy a book on marriage, but I would be out there. We have this contest to see who's been married the most uh, and who's been married the least amount of time. The couple that won for the least amount of time at the Maui conference had been married for just five hours. I kept wanting to look at him and saying, go, go, we'll get you the notes. This isn't that good, just go. We actually tagged on three extra days. We stayed with some of our friends that we were speaking with. It was awesome. Uh, And then the the manager said the rudest thing to us. It was just so insensitive. We're walking through the lobby, and he just says to us behind the front desk, "Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Mielhoff, you'll be leaving today. I was like, now why, why did you have to say that? You know what, let's say that we didn't leave. That we just looked at him and said, no, no thanks. And we just stayed in our room. In Hawaii, and we stayed there not for weeks, but months and years. Do you know a really interesting thing would happen? Hawaii would become old. The hotel would become old. All the sand would become old. Yeah, another sea turtle. Okay, what else do you got beside sea turtles? It would gradually get old, and we would long for something else. See, God had an interesting problem on his hands, right? So the world falls, right? There's rebellion in paradise. Adam and Eve are banished from paradise, and now we have a long succession of rebellion. Remember Cain and Abel, the first murder recorded in the Bible. So God, you now live in a world that has imprints of God's majesty everywhere, right? The world is still beautiful. Hawaii is still beautiful. But God doesn't want you to fall in love with a fallen world. He doesn't want you to become rooted in a fallen world. So he does something very interesting. He hardwires into life in a fallen world discontentment. He hardwires it into every aspect of life so you will not fall in love with the hotel. 
You will not fall in love with a fallen world. So every aspect you're going to meet in life, there will be this push and pull in your life. There will be an attraction to something, but if you focus on it, you'll get disappointment. That's not by accident. God has hardwired the world to be that way because he doesn't want you falling in love with a world that is in rebellion against him. Now, take a look at a passage from Hebrews. In Hebrews, it says this, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They were trusting for something. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. Did you catch that? They saw these things, right? They saw heaven embedded in planet Earth, but they saw it from a distance, right? It it, it was pointers towards heaven, and they welcomed it as that. They got the balance. Yeah, we're on planet Earth. Yes, we're human beings. We weren't born on Mars. But this Earth, there's something absolutely missing. And we're trying to find what the missing piece is as we go through life. Admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on Earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have an opportunity to return back to that country. So God is saying, with every aspect of this life, you're going to see beauty in it, you're going to want it to be more than what it is, and I'm not going to allow it to be more than what it is. Now, just to show you this isn't my thinking, but the church has always wrestled with this tension, let's take a quick survey of some really smart Christian thinkers who have talked about what is life like in a fallen world. Augustine, in his Confessions, a book that marked the Christian church, said this, Everlasting God in whom we live and move and have our being, he's quoting Acts, you have made us for yourself and hearts are restless till they find rest in you. So Augustine is saying, you'll always be um, searching and hurried unless you find rest in God. So again, it, it, it isn't that marriage isn't great. It can be really good. It isn't that church life isn't good. It isn't that having a career or a, a vacation home or going to Hawaii or just enjoying a sunset. It isn't that that isn't good, but you'll always be restless until you find rest in God, and we are just constantly restless people on planet Earth. Pascal wrote a book in the 1600s that marked the church. It was called Pensees. It means notes in French. This is what Pascal said. What else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim but that there was in once in man a true happiness that was before the fall of humanity. That was Adam and Eve walking in the garden with God. There, was a, there is a true happiness that our human race has experienced of which that now remains is the empty print and trace. This he tries to fit in vain to fill with everything around him. So interesting that, again, 1600s, Pascal is saying, here's the problem with all of humanity distraction. That's what's wrong with humanity. By the way, this is pre-internet. This is pre-smartphones that can launch missiles, right? This is pre-social media. And Pascal said, distraction keeps you from realizing that nothing will fill that God-shaped vacuum in your heart but God. 
So men and women, I hope that we disconnect from technology every once in a while. I hope we find Sabbath rest is what Pascal would prescribe for this church and for humanity. You need time to get away from things. And since the Detroit Lions are 0-4, you don't need to watch football. (laughs) Right? You don't need to. God's done us a great service. By the way, this is really biblical. In one of the most interesting books of the Old Testament, in my estimation, you get Ecclesiastes, you get Solomon, who does this. He says, I want you to imagine life under the sun. I want you to imagine there is no God. That's what the book of Ecclesiastes is about. Let's do perspective taking that there is no God and what would life be like? What would education be like? Marriage be like? Love be like? Relationships be like? And he says, he gives you a preview in the first chapter, everything is meaningless. Everything without God. Well, God wants you to understand that this life is good so long as you keep it in balance. If it gets out of balance, this life is going to be really frustrating for every single one of us. So what do we do? What we always do, at least at at Com Theory, is we go to C.S. Lewis, right? Every Com Theorist mentions C.S. Lewis because he's just awesome. All right, so Lewis said this in Mere Christianity. Most people, if they had really looked into their own hearts, by the way, don't forget Pascal, we don't look in our own hearts because we're so crazy busy. We just don't have time to hear the voice of God. I am driving to campus the other day, and there is a woman in the bike lane on her cell phone, riding a bike on a road with cars, looking at her cell phone. There is never a moment where we're just quiet before God, right? We need to cultivate these experiences where there are no distractions whatsoever so that we really can look into our own hearts. If you do that, you would know... That what they do want and want acutely is something that cannot be had in this world. He goes on. The longings which arise in us when we first fall in love or first think of some foreign country or first take up some subject that excites us, right? So go back to the beginnings of something, of anything, and this is what Lewis is talking about. Um, I was a horrible high school student. I played three sports. I did football. I immediately went into wrestling and immediately went into tennis. I had the great point to prove it. I I was a horrible student. So I I thought college would be great. Well, but college turned me down. They said, you got to go to a community college, get your grades up, and then you can transfer in. So I thought, man, get a college degree would be awesome, right? And, and, And then it started. The first semester started, and you're like, oh, this is just kind of boring and a lot of work, and this is, this is four years of doing this. But I got my college diploma, right? And then I'm working with Campus Crusade for Christ, and I think to myself, if I got a master's, if I got a master's, that'd be awesome. Would anybody call me Master Tim? I don't know. <laughs> This is awesome. So you know what? The best day was the first day. I'm there with a bunch of other master's students. We're all first-year students. And and they're talking about UNC Chapel Hill and the power of grad school and how cool this experience is going to be. And I'm just thinking, this is it. This is it. And then it started. Hard classes. Having to read Foucault and write a paper using APA, American Psychological Association Citation. Really hard to learn. Right, so I finished that, and I'm thinking, okay, this was g- okay. Then I thought, oh, a PhD. That's like a whole nother letter. Wow. <laughs> the best day was the first day. Uh, UNC Chapel Hill started its program. They took five students. And by God's grace alone, I was one of the five. They call this the Fab Five. 
right? So there was five of us. So I'm thinking the first day was the best. We're sitting there with everybody thinking, you're in PhD. This is awesome. Then it started. And again, it's hard, right? Oh, my gosh. But then I graduated, and, and I got the robe. You get the robe, right? And I, had the, I was in my bedroom. I put the robe on. I had the hat on. And I turned the corner in my house. All my kids were right there. I thought, finally, finally, they're going to stand up and go, Dad. (laughs) I turned that corner. My kids look at me. One of them goes, you look poofy. (laughs) Time out. So when you first start something is, is, the, is what Lewis is saying. You know that, right? Oh, going to this school, right? Those of you who are going to graduate from high school. Oh, going to this school will be awesome. Being in this relationship, right? Uh, this marriage, when it first starts, right? When it first starts. I had a student in my class. She was getting married. Uh, and I said, hey, what are you going to do in your honeymoon? She said, oh, Dr. Mielhoff, we're going off to this cabin. It's in the middle of nowhere. Ten days, no social media, nothing. Just me, my husband, and our love. <laughs> I said to her, I'd bring Scrabble. I mean, you know, I mean, I just... <laughs> that's a long time. So it's when you first start things, right? Lewis says you feel it immediately. Oh, this will be it. This will be it. But then he says this, but I'm telling you right now, no marriage, no travel, no learning will really satisfy that itch you want to scratch. Now, at this point, we think, okay, C.S. Lewis is talking about average marriages. He's talking about um, marriages that need a lot of work. There's a lot of conflict. He's talking about a a vacation that went bad, right? He's talking about that kind of stuff, right? Lewis says, oh, no, 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 no. That's not what I'm talking about. This is what he says. I am not now speaking of what would be ordinarily called unsuccessful marriages or holidays or learned careers. I am speaking of the best possible marriages, the best possible careers, the best possible pastors, the best possible churches. You will feel, after the initial rush, sneaking disappointment. Why? Because God hardwired the world that way. I don't want you to fall in love with this church. I don't want you to fall in love with this country. I don't want you to fall in love with your career, right? So no matter where you go, what you do, who you marry, what church you belong to, there will be this sneaking disappointment because your hearts are restless till they find peace in God. So then he says this, we always grasp our entire life. There was something we grasped at in the first moment of longing, which fades away in reality. I think everyone knows what I mean. Now, let me just say this. Um, So the older I get, the more acutely I feel this. Right Now, listen, midlife crises are for real. I don't care if you're a man or a woman, though men are more primed for midlife crises than women because of how we've been socialized, right? So when you hit your 40s, this just becomes real. Why? Because now you have a whole history to look at. Now, those of you in high school, it's all potential right now, and it's awesome, right? You're going to go change the world. You're going to get this career. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do right? And it's great, and I would never deny you of that. In the 40s, you get a reality check. In the 40s, you turn and you go, okay, this is what I accomplished. And I'm in this job, and I don't think I'm going to be vice president. I don't think I'm going to play for the Tigers shortstop. Um, I don't think I'm going to be like president of the university. I don't, this is what I got. I got this marriage. I've got these kids. 
I've got all of this. And, and it's good. It's good. It's just, I thought it would be more. I thought I'd be more happy. Right? So I teach at a great university. I really do. I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade my job. I really wouldn't. But, but after a while, you go, okay, well, I guess I'll do like one more year of this and one more year of that. And cause that's when you get a little crazy, though, in the midlife crisis, right? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something. I'm going to shuffle the deck. I'm going to reshuffle the deck. I'm going to get rid of my spouse. I'm going to buy like a sports car. I'm going to shave my head. I, I mean, you know, crazy things. You just like... <laughs> So what do we do? What do we do with this, uh, as John Richard Newhouse says, this holy dissatisfaction? I love that phrase. What do you do with it? Well, here's what we don't do. We don't take the past and make it something it never was, and we don't make the future something it was never meant to be. The past, right? Um, Abraham Lincoln, okay, awesome president, without a doubt, took us through one of the worst times our country has ever experienced in the Civil War. But if you read anything about Lincoln, honest Abe, he, he was not beyond some backroom deals, and he wasn't beyond using his sharp uh, vocabulary to absolutely go after people. It's funny how we think that today's culture wars, how politicians treat each other, is so nasty. Go back and read Jefferson, Madison, and, and how these people treated each other. Holy cow, we might not be doing as bad as we think we are today, right? So, so Honest Abe was awesome, but he wasn't all that. But then we go, oh, the future. So poor Barack Obama, right? We, 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 this poster became very famous, Hope. Barack Obama's going to fix our country. He's going to do all these great things. And guess what? No one can do that. No one can be saddled with that. So now this election process, oh, but this person can do it. This person can do it. No, the the future will never be uh, that we'll finally get everything fixed in this country or fixed politically. The past is really interesting. We call these Facebook affairs. Today, we're seeing people that go back to high school, college, right? They're in a marriage right now, and they think, oh, but that person I met in high school. Oh, that person I dated in college. Oh, and you forget all the bad things. You sanitize that. And now they're like this awesome, wonderful, wonderful person. And the person you're living with now, you're like, oh, but I see your backstage. I see, I see all the stuff you do. And that person would never have done any of those things. That's crazy that we sanitize the past or we put all the pressure on the future. Well, there's a phrase we have in comm theory called rotted with perfection. It comes from a man named Edmund Burke. Burke said this, Kenneth Burke. Burke said, I can conceive of the perfect country, I just can't pull it off. I can actually conceive of the perfect spouse, you just can't be it. We can conceive of the perfect kids, don't you? These testimonies sometimes, don't you just want to die? A child gets up, like 13, started a non-profit dealing with sex trafficking and just spent the summer digging fresh water wells and, and uh, you know, and they're homeschooled. And you just sit there and you're like... Uh, one of my favorite actors, such a shame that we lost him, Philip Seymour Huffman said this, for me, acting is torturous. And it's torturous because, you know, it's a beautiful thing. I was young once, And I said, that's beautiful, and I want that. Wanting it is easy, but trying to be great, well, that's absolutely torturous. I can conceive of the perfect actor, Hoffman says, but I I can't do it. Then you know what he also admitted that I think was very wise? 
So when I compare myself like Hoffman did, I don't compare myself to one person. I actually compare myself to a composite of people. So Biola University is just an amazing place. What makes Biola work is the people you work with. Uh, Just amazing colleagues, but it can be a bummer. Right? I mean, so when I compare myself to other faculty, I don't compare myself to one person. I compare myself to the, uh, the caring of a Doug Huffman. I compare myself to the smarts of a John Lundy. I compare myself to the passion of an Eric Tonis. I compare myself to the, how articulate Rick Langer is. Well, that, that's not a real person. That's a composite of five different people, and no one can compare to that. So all of us can see. I, I had these moments in my class I want to finish a lecture, and then one student slowly stands up on the desk and says, Captain, my captain, right? I just... (laughs) Be careful. These chairs are not super steady, so after the sermon. Um, But, you know, I, I I can see it. I can almost taste it. I just can never pull it off. I I just can't do it. The the closest I come is what I just did last week. uh, Monday to Thursday, I was the visiting lecturer at John Brown University, right? So you go there, and, and, and you experience just a taste of it. People would come up to me and say, oh, I just wish I could be in your classroom. Your students are just, I want to tape it. I want to tape it and play it before every lecture, Right? The most excited my students get is, hey, by the way, next week I'm at John Brown. There won't be any class. Awesome! Yeah! That's, that's sure how to take that. So how do we do it? How do we manage? Lewis gives us two wrong ways to do it, and then he gives us one right way. First, he says this. Don't do the fool's way. The fool's way is this. He puts blame, the fool, on the things themselves. He goes on all of his life thinking if only he had tried another woman or went on a more expensive holiday or whatever it is, then this time he really would catch the mysterious something that we're all after. So here's the mistake we make. This marriage, I know the good, the bad, the ugly about this marriage. I get it. But I look at that person, right? That person just seems awesome at work or on Facebook, right? Why? Because with this person, you see the front and the backstage, right? That person, you only see the front stage. So I I meet so many people who abandon this marriage and go with that person. And then you know what happens? They marry that person, and guess what? That person has a backstage. And you say to that person, why didn't you tell me? Because I wanted you to leave your spouse and come with me. Welcome to my backstage. So you know what you do? You leave that person, you try to find it. By the way, let me just say this. That's the pull of pornography. The pull of pornography is there's no backstage. Now, there is for the women who are caught in that abusive system, right? Being objectified like that. But when you go to pornography or romance novels or American sitcoms, you don't see the backstage. Now, of the actors, tragically, we learn about their backstage marriages and how they dissolve and the struggles. But when you see these unreal characters, you fall in love with a, uh, something that doesn't exist, synthetic, that doesn't have a backstage. That's the allure of pornography or romance novels. So the fool's way is to say, I'm going to find a different church. This church got problems. They're in transition. I don't like this anymore. I'm going to go find a better church, one that has it all worked out. Or I'm going to find a different marriage. Or I'm going to trade my kids in. 
Right? I'm just, can we? So that's the fool's way. And Lewis says, don't do that. That's not going to work. Then he mentions this way. The disillusioned is an opposite mistake. He, the disillusioned, says this. One feels that way when one's young. But by the time you get to my age, you've given up chasing the rainbow's end. So let me just say this to my high school students. Absolutely, you want to marry a person that you're in love with. Absolutely, you want to marry your best friend. Absolutely, you want to marry a person that things are firing and this is awesome and we're going to change the world and we're going to have a marriage that is just going to, right? I would never rob you of that. That's why courting needs to be a year or two or three, right? Not this quick married date and get married thing. No, I want, I want you to experience like three seasons of everything. I want you to see that person in the good days and the bad days. I'll never forget uh, being the Bible teacher at a Campus Crusade for Christ uh, a Christmas conference. And I, I was just rocking it from the Bible. I'm doing the book of James and blah, 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 blah. And we need to live authentic lives and we need to be real in the power of the Holy Spirit. You can do anything. Well, the conference is over. Now we're stuck in Chicago O'Hare on like a nine-hour unexpected layover. The kids have stopped being human. You know what that's like. They have stopped being... People are looking at me saying, well, then you, you give a try with the wolf children. You come over and try to parent right now. Judge me. Get out of here. Right? I mean, they're just, they're, not, they're tired and you're tired. I, I lost it. I lost it. Uh, so Noreen, God bless her, is with the kids. And I just walk away and I'm looking out a window. I'm just looking out the window thinking, I, you know, if the Lord came back, it would settle so many things. And I'm just looking out the window, and I'm just sick and tired. And a woman walks up to me and says, excuse me, uh, you were the Bible teacher at this conference. And I just want you to know, it was was inspirational. And I looked at her, and I said, go away. (laughs) No, I didn't. What did I say? Oh, you bet. God is, God's good. (laughs) Can't do anything about airplanes, but he's good. Right? So I'm not going to do that. I'm not gonna, this is the disillusion. I'm not going to expect anything from my marriage. If I can't make it perfect, I'm not going to try to fix anything. If the church isn't perfect, I'm not going to try to fix any part of the church. Well, if it can't be perfect, then I'm just not going to do anything. I'm just going to sit back and let the kids do whatever they want, let the marriage deteriorate. No, 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 Lewis is saying, you can fix things. You ought to fix things. Just know it'll never be all that. It'll never be what it can't be. Then Lewis says this. This is Lewis at his best. Here's the Christian way. Earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only arouse it. Don't you love that? So marriage isn't meant to totally show you what unconditional love is like. It's just to arouse you to what God's unconditional love is like. Hey, this church was never meant to totally be a perfect community, but it is meant to arouse you what heaven is going to be like. Right? So it arouses in us these like, oh, that's what it's going to be like. So there's just these beautiful moments in life where you go, we have a great meal. And you just sit back and you go, that was awesome. That's arousing of what it's going to be like with the great wedding feast that we're going to have with Christ. To suggest the real thing. 
If that is so, I must take care on the one hand never to despise or be unthankful for these earthly blessings. Hey, life can be good sometimes and we need to appreciate the good. Yeah, you have all these hopes and dreams for your kids and sometimes there's disappointments, but celebrate the good times. Yeah, marriage is hard sometimes, but celebrate the good times. Church is hard to pull off, especially a church of thousands of people. So let's celebrate the moments we get it right. And on the other hand, never to mistake them for the something else of which they are only a kind, a copy, an echo, or a mirage. So let's do a test case. Marriage. Test case. Uh, The craziest thing about marriage is when you're dating. It's the craziest period there is. It's insane what we do when we're dating. Um, so one time, Noreen and I, we lived next to each other in an apartment complex before we got married. Noreen had the flu. She had a stomach virus. She's throwing up. Well, I'm you know, really interested in her romantically. So what do I do? I, I borrow a breakfast tray. I get a can of Campbell's soup, chicken noodle soup, warm it up, grab a book of poetry. I have no idea where the book came from. Grab the book of poetry. Knock on the door. Noreen cracks the door. She says, Tim, you do not want to be around me. I have the flu right now. I said, Noreen, God is sovereign. <laughs> right? Noreen opens the door. I come in. She kicks her feet up on mine. I'm reading her poetry as she is eating soup. She looks at me. She actually asks me the question, are you really this good? I looked at her and I went, I'm actually having an off day. (laughs) Why? Why? Because she doesn't see me in my apartment. Isn't that the beautiful thing about dating? Oh, I wish we could carry that into marriage. The best thing about dating is you've got to break. You've got to break from it. Wouldn't that be great in marriage, guys? Like, whoa, was it 9 o'clock already? My shift's over. Whoa! I could go next door, lay with a pizza on my stomach with the remote control, and then work it up. Oh, my shift starts at 10 o'clock a.m. I walk and say, Noreen, how are you? Let's start by praying for the world. So that's what Lewis is saying, right? It's, it hasn't started yet. And you're attracted to the it. The PhD program, you just started it. The master's program, you just started it. You just started attending this church. I'm trying to get a black belt in Kung Fu, right? It was awesome. The day I signed the papers and said, I'm finally going to get my black belt. This is going to be awesome. And now two years into it, I'm tired, sore, and still can't kick to your head, right? If you're laying down, I can kick to your head. But... So just know the beginning isn't it. Now, when you get into it, it's going to be good and bad at the exact same time. And God has hardwired into it that it won't be what only he can be. Doesn't mean we don't work in the marriage or try to fix the church or try to fix the country. It just will never be exactly what you want it to be. So let me close with Jonathan Edwards, who had this unbelievable... um, quote about life on earth. The enjoyment of God is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. To go to heaven fully to enjoy God is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations here. Fathers and mothers, husbands, wives, or children, or the company of earthly friends are but shadows. But God is the substance. 
These are but scattered beams, but God is the sun. These are but streams, but God is the ocean. So today, let me advocate this. Today, we just enjoy life. We don't try to fix it. So walking out of these doors, we're not fixing one thing about this church. We're just enjoying it. Uh, When we go home to our marriages, we're not going to fix one thing about our spouse today. We're just going to enjoy it. We're not going to fix one thing about our kids. We're just going to enjoy it. We're not going to think, oh, this meal would have been better if we just would have had a little. No, 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 no. We're going to enjoy the meal. We're going to enjoy the conversation. We're going to enjoy the unexpected laughter. And if you have a hard time with that, when I drove to this church, I passed three homeless people driving to this church. So men and women, we live in a country that's unbelievable. When Jesus talked to the rich young ruler, he was talking to you. He was talking to us. Today, if you want to ruin your day, which we're not going to do today, but if you want to ruin your day, go to globalrichlist.com and plug in your salary. And it will compare you with the world economy, and I guarantee you, you're going to be in the top 5% of the world's population of what you make. So today, we're just going to say, Lord... Thank you. What an awesome foretaste of what's ahead. But right now, I'm not arguing with the sunbeam. I'm not arguing with the echo. I'm going to enjoy the echo. Yeah, later you can go to a marriage conference. Later you can read a book on parenting. Later we can talk about church dynamics. But today, we're just going to enjoy the sunbeam, the echo, the hint of the great things that are in store. Let me pray for us. Father, we come before you and we're thankful. We're thankful for the leadership of this church. We're thankful for for our worship team. Thank you that we drove here in a car. Thank you that we're in a marriage. For those of us who have kids. For those who are attending a university or a high school. A junior high. Father, with each one of those instances, we can think of how to improve a high school, improve a church, improve a spouse, a better car, better uh, ways of worship. But today we just thank you. We pause. We love you, not this world. We love you, not the sunbeam, not the echo. Today, Father, let us just be grateful and enjoy your good graces in a fallen world. And Father, thank you that you protect us from falling in love with a world that is in rebellion. Thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What you think?